0: You're listening to the Strategies at Work podcast for April 2011. Today's episode is titled Christian Hedonism. Christian Hedonism sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? How could someone be a Christian and a hedonist? A Christian is someone who is a follower of Jesus Christ, that is, a disciple of Christ. To be a disciple of Christ, one must put aside personal agendas to embrace and support Christ's agenda. Jesus expressed the devotion that he expects from his followers in Matthew 16, 24. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Don't do business with or hire anyone who is focused on using money for his or her personal pleasure, happiness, comfort, and convenience. Such a person is a hedonist, even if he or she professes to be a Christian. Hedonists are enemies of God. You cannot expect the favor and blessings of God on yourself and/or your organization if you have people in the organization who are enemies of God. And now, Dr. Chester brings us the message titled "How Can C4 Help Me Make More Money."
1: The title of our presentation tonight is uh, "How Can C4 Help Me Make More Money?" Well, I've got a little picture here of an alien up here. So, what would an alien think that we worship if they were to come to Earth and just? Um, just observe us and just look at uh... what's going on on this planet you know what would they conclude well they would see buildings like this which uh... we call church buildings and if they went inside they may see something like this which uh, which is a very um, extravagant uh... very expensive interior finish out of this particular church building and uh... they might go around other places and see very similar things so they might start talking to us and asking us what do we worship and we would tell them we worship God and they may get, they go back to their spaceship and huddle and say you know those people claim to worship God but you know they appear to worship money because they certainly spend a lot of money uh, with their church buildings uh, and the reality is that whatever is going on in our church world is going on in the rest of our lives it's going on in our personal life, it's going on in our family lives, it's going on in our business lives, in our community lives because whatever we do at church we do it in every area of life so if we worship God at church we worship God in every area of life if we worship money at church we worship money in every area of life so as we think about money we ask ourselves the question why do you want more money what is the point of more money well we can build bigger houses obviously or we could buy faster cars or we could go on more vacations maybe we can buy more stuff at the store or maybe we don't have to work at all but all of us want more money for some reason we have some motive for wanting more money and Virtually everybody you run into wants more money. It's a very common conversation. How can I make more money? It's almost an entitlement in the United States to be able to make as much money as you can so you can do what you want to do, when you want to do it, how you want to do it. And so we have to look at our motives because everybody has a motive. And the question is, is motive important? And I think we see from scripture that motive counts. Motive is important to God. And it's important that we recognize our motives. And we can start in Genesis chapter 11 in the, uh, the Tower of Babel situation and we can find out a lot about motives from that story. Now this is a group of people that uh, lived many, many years ago, but they apparently had had enough success and accumulated enough money that they didn't have to work for a while. At least work to make, make more money or work to grow crops or, or raise animals they had enough resources to where they could stop and build a tower. And you can imagine that building towers back in those times, that was, that was a long process, a very expensive process. And so uh, they jumped into this project, and uh, they did a number of things correctly. Uh, they followed many biblical principles. For example, uh, they chose the proper location, uh, used the proper technology, uh, worked as teams, and had, had sound leadership. And they had a strategic plan, and so because of the practice of these principles, they had a level of success and you can see from this graphic here it pictures uh, that they they got uh, they, they built this thing uh, to some level of completion, but in the end, the project failed. Now why did this project fail? Well, it's because of the motives. You see what they tried to do was make a name for themselves. And God is not into us making names for ourselves. He's into himself being glorified and himself being his name being magnified. So you see in Genesis 11 verse 4, when they uh, they came up with their plan to build the tower, they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the whole face of the earth. And so this motive here is is the reason that they got judged, because it was the wrong motive. Now, when you ask yourself the question, why should God give you money? Well, you might uh, turn to a text like James chapter 4 and get some clues as to why God may not give you money. Look what he says here. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So what what James is telling us here is that God is a very giving God. All you have to do is ask, but you need to ask with the right motives. And to spend it on your pleasures is not the right motive. Now, let's be clear that, that God is not against us having enjoyment. Uh, You see in the Old Testament very clearly that the Israelites, they were given many feasts as part of their calendar year activities. And their feasts weren't just one day or two two days. Their feasts typically were a week or two weeks. And they really got to enjoy themselves, enjoy the food, and enjoy the the company. And um, they just had a good time. So God is not opposed to us having a good time. But he wants to define for us, when and how we have a good time. And see, what we want to do is we want to make up our own rules. And so when you try to make up your own rules, when any of us tries to make up our own rules, that's when we run into a motive problem and that's when we're not going to have the support of God in whatever it is that we're trying to do. So you shouldn't expect that God's going to support your ideas and your your definitions of fun and pleasure. The reality is that money is a training tool. Now, this is something very important for us to understand. You see this picture of the potter here. The potter shapes the vessel as he pleases, and that is what God has done with us. He's shaped us as he pleases, and he's made the rules for how we're to conduct life on earth. Now, if we look at Luke 16, verses 10 through 13, we see a very interesting text relative to money, and it is perhaps one of the clearest texts about how God views money. So let's read that together and just talk about it a little bit. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So this is a very key principle. Uh, the principle is when God gives you a little bit, he wants to see what you do with that. And if you if you can if you conduct yourselves correctly, you make good choices, you function as a steward, then he views that as a qualification for promotion and later on in Luke 19 you would see that is the basis for promotion is being faithful in little so God starts out giving us a little to see how we will handle a little and then it says so if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth who will trust you with true riches now that's an interesting twist now I think to understand this text you need to understand that worldly wealth is not a negative term Uh, many times we think of worldly wealth as something negative, filthy, it's dirty. No it's not. Worldly wealth is just something in the tangible world that God has given you to steward. So if you don't take that and steward it properly he's saying you're proving that you're not trustworthy. So if you want to be trustworthy and receive true riches which would be the promotion then you need to be willing to take what things God gives you and manage them properly, appropriately this would include things like time, talent, and treasure. So all the various things that you have to steward are contemplated here and they're test they're they're used as a training tool to, to test us and prepare us for true riches. And the text goes on and says "And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property who will give you property of your own? Now this is a very telling comment here. Uh, most of us at some point in our life uh, have have rented something. We rented an apartment, or maybe we, we leased or rented a car, um, you know, or we, we maybe even borrowed something. And when we had that asset into our possession, uh, we viewed it a certain way. Uh, most of us, when we uh, look at something we've rented, we view it as, well, this isn't mine, and so we give ourselves permission to mistreat it. But if, if you view it as yours, then you take better care of it. Uh I remember one time when my older daughter was living in Houston and uh I um, I had bought her a nice car. And uh I was down there on a visit one time and she and I were driving and uh this is one of a one kind of a, a low sports car, uh just a two seater kind of car and and so we're driving someplace and she's cruising along at a pretty pretty fast clip. And she grows across these railroad tracks that, uh, you know, had, a, had some, um, elevation to it. So it kind of sent the car airborne a little bit, you know, just a few inches. And when the airborne, the car came back down to the ground, it hit kind of hard and, and we bottomed out. And so I said something to her about it. And she, she said to me, well, it's not my, it wasn't my money. Meaning I didn't pay for this car. So since I didn't pay for it, I'm not going to care for it and that's a very common perspective that we all have so this is what he's talking about if you won't be trustworthy in handling somebody else's property who's gonna give you property of your own now the next phrase really tells is gonna really get into what's going on here no servant can serve two masters either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other You cannot serve both God and money. Now, what he's telling us here is you have to make a choice. I run into this uh, routinely. So many people want to be rich for God; they want to make a bunch of money for God, so they can they can sow a bunch of money into the kingdom. That's a very common perspective I run into. But may I suggest to you that that is just a cover for greed. When you hear that, you need to be very suspicious. Because the reality is what they want is they want a bunch of money and the way to rationalize it is to act like it's, oh, I'm going to use this for God, for kingdom purposes. What this text is telling us is you cannot serve God and money. You have to make a choice. And one of the great great ways to distinguish whether or not you are currently you know, serving God or money is looking, at, looking to see how you handle money right now. How are you stewarding your worldly wealth? How do you steward your time? How do you steward your talents? However you're stewarding those right now will reveal to you whether or not you worship God or money. This also includes how you manage property that's owned by someone else. If you are treating your rented property any different than you would treat property that you you could perceive that you owned, then you're worshiping money. Now, that may be a very convicting thing for many of us. I have a client that um, has a rented facility, and the first time I went over there, I noticed the facility was kind of dungy and dark and dirty, and it needed to be painted, and the floor was all dirty, and it just wasn't a very pleasant environment to be in. And uh, my client, uh, about a year later, was convicted of the truth of this text that that he needed to take responsibility to steward that building just as if he owned it and so he did and so in a time when his profit was not very great cash flow wasn't that strong he began to pour money into fixing up that building he began to paint it he he fixed up the floor he he put new shelves and new cabinets in and he made it and brightened it up with new lights He really made it a much more pleasant environment. Suddenly, his employees are perkier. Uh, Customers coming in are making comments. And my client knows that what he did is he said no to Mammon, and he said yes to God. Because he began to steward that property that he had been responsible for as a tenant. He began to steward it like an owner. And so that's very important that we recognize that money is a training tool money's not something to be coveted it's not something to be held onto it's something to be used to express whom we really worship if we really worship God then we're going to be investing in the resources that we're supposed to steward and by the way one of the one of the I think the strong signs that you understand this principle is that you'll be investing in spiritual food you know Jesus told us in uh in the sermon uh, in the uh, when he was interacting with Satan in his temptation, the very first temptation was to turn the stones into bread. And Jesus responded to Satan at a time when he had hadn't eaten in 40 days. He says this, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And what he said there was, in the midst of his hunger, and I have no doubt he wanted that bread badly, he recognized the truth that spiritual food is more important than physical food. And so if spiritual food is more important to you than physical food, then you will make spiritual food a priority. I was talking to uh, a gentleman here a couple of, couple of weeks ago. And this man was really struggling with his career and um, had a hard time uh, paying his bills. And uh, so I was asking him, well, what are you going to do? Well, the first thing, one of the first things they did would start cutting off any kind of investment in learning. I said, "Well, you need to think about that. You know, at a time when when you really need to press into God even even more than ever, you're cutting off investments in learning and growing in Christ. Is that a wise move? And you could tell he had never thought about that because he was he was pretty much trained both uh, in the churches as well as just in the world." that when times get tough you just cut back to the bare necessities and the bare necessities does not include spiritual training. And so he was he was just following that training without ever realizing the, the the incredible importance and significance of spiritual food. So we need to be very committed to learning how to spend money, how to steward money God's way. We've got to ask ourselves what are his principles for stewardship? And begin to handle worldly wealth in a way that would honor him, would glorify him, and matches his value system. And that is the only way we're really going to worship God instead of money. There's only one right motive when it comes to dealing with money or really dealing with life at all. And that is we have to learn to think as a steward. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 gives us a powerful truth. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did not receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? In other words, what he's saying here is, whatever it is you have in your hand, you need to recognize where it came from. If you've got money, if you've got talent, if you've got time, whatever it is you have, that came from God. And yet you boast as though it doesn't. You fail to recognize the divine origin of everything. And when you live that way, you're not living as a steward. The only way to live as a faithful steward is to recognize the reality that there's nothing that you have that doesn't come from God. Absolutely nothing. Everything you have has been given to you by God even though you may have worked for it, the opportunity to work for it, the gifts and talents to work, the, the favor that you've had in your work, all of that has come from God. Now I want you to look at Luke 17 verses 7-10 through and this just builds on this truth and I just wanna just give you a little context here. The disciples have just asked Jesus to do something for them. He's asked them, will you, will you intensify our faith? Will you cause our faith to grow? And Jesus then says, well, You know, if you had faith just as small as a mustard seed, you'd tell this tree over here to get up and go and spring roots in the ocean. I mean, you would do something that incredibly radical that nobody would believe it. That's what a little bit of faith, real faith, is like. And then he went on and gave them this little story, this little parable. And I want to read this parable to you. Suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Would he not rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that you may eat and drink. Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, "We are unworthy servants; we have only done our duty." Now, this is a text that you know kind of offends us, because it sounds like this uh, this master is cruel. It sounds like he's insensitive. He's worked this servant hard, and then he comes in and demands that he do even more. And that to us, that kind of offends us. But we need to recognize that God is God. And this story is about recognizing our relationship with God. The master is God. We are the servants. And we have no claim on God. We are unworthy servants. We have a duty to God to obey Him. And we have no claim for anything else. And so when you begin to really get this reality, and remember, This is how Jesus explained to them the whole idea of increasing faith. Faith is increased as you begin to get humble. Faith is increased as as you see yourself as a servant. One of my clients is currently in the hospital, and uh, it's a lovely lady. Uh, Some of you probably know her. She has been engaged in really growing and understanding how to do business God's ways for about five years and I've been very blessed to walk with her through this time and I've been very blessed to see how responsive that she's been to the truth and she has worked very very hard to transform her business and through the process has had a lot of pushback and a lot of a lot of trials and one of the things that she's struggled with is some medical issues and so she called me this morning left me a voicemail, I was tied up when she called and told me she was in the emergency room and that her heart was out of rhythm this has been an ongoing problem for her and she was very discouraged and what was discouraging her was she began to look at all these things she had been doing and how she had been pressing into the Lord and walking with God and changing her company and really doing everything that she knew to obey God and she kept having these problems with her health and I didn't have the heart to share with her this text today I'm hopeful I can share with her tomorrow but what I thought she needs to get to is she needs to get to this point right here where she says, I'm an unworthy servant, and I've only done my duty. And I have no claim on God. God does not owe me a, a healthy body. If I, he gives me a healthy body, that is a gift. He doesn't owe me money. If he gives me money, that's a gift. He doesn't owe me more time on this earth. If he gives me that, that's a gift. And so I think part of, part of really growing in the faith is coming to that point of incredible humility, incredible sense of being a servant, incredible sense of being created by the eternal God, an incredible sense of duty, of doing what God has created me to do. And so as I get to that place of faith, then I have achieved the right motive. Because now everything is about the will of God. Every dime that I get is His. You know, what's what's interesting to me is working with people is frequently I hear the comment that people talk about they tithe, and they'll talk about how they've given God his portion as if the other 90% is their portion. And I think that's just another example of greed at work. It's another example of the worship of mammon. Because the reality is every dime that you have belongs to God. And God cares about how you spend it all, where you live, what car you drive, what groceries you buy what entertainment you you ta- you decide to uh, to enjoy you know what what clothes you wear where you shop uh, how you how you keep your house everything about your life god cares and he wants you to function as his steward because re- recognize this everything belongs to him because everything ultimately has come from him so the only right motive is to be that of a faithful steward. C4, as all of you know, is a great tool, a great key to help you to learn to be a faithful steward. Now, all of you learned this in, this principle in the uh, in the seminar, but let's just review it real quickly here. There's first calling, which is the po- the passion of your heart, the cry of your heart. There is character, which is alignment with God. That's alignment with the will of God, both the the general will of God and the specific will of God remember the general will of God is that we all walk in a biblical worldview that is the general will of God the specific will of God is what has God assigned you to do you're his servant what are the works that he wants you to do and of course C4 helps you discover that so that's what character is all about is alignment with God capability is the skill and ability that you've been given by God and finally, commissioning is the validation by authority figures. And when we put all this together, we have a bullseye, a target. That's what we're going for is to discover that, that, that work, those activities, those things that God has created us specifically to do. And as, as you begin to see the, see a revelation of that, you begin to see what the, what you, what your service is, what you are supposed to be doing here on planet earth. So this is a very essential tool in my mind to help us discover our race and to be faithful stewards. We have to understand, too, that as we, as we are becoming faithful stewards, that God funds his will. This is one of the great things about, about God. God will pay for what he wants done. Dennis likes to say God pays for what he orders, and that is very true. Now i want to just look at Psalm 25, verses 12 and 13 real quickly. Who then is the man that fears the Lord? He, that is the Lord, will instruct him, that is the man, in the way chosen for the man. He, that is the Lord, will spend his days, excuse me, he, that is the man, will spend his days in prosperity, and his descendants will inherit the land. Now this is a powerful text, because it tells us right here the key to a successful life. A prosperous life, a life of 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 what we would consider a significance and the key is this it starts with the fear of the Lord. Now the fear of the Lord is not so much trembling it's not so much shaking. The fear of the Lord is really an incredible sense of awe and wonder and God is the creator and I am simply his servant and when I have that the only thing in me that drives me is an incredible desire to know him and to know his will and to learn how he thinks and learn how he wants me to act. And sometimes we talk about this in terms of biblical worldview. To me the fear of the Lord is just another way to say biblical worldview because if a man has a fear of the Lord he will have a biblical worldview. And when you have a biblical worldview then God responds to your your act of faith and to your humbleness and your submission to him simply by by saying, God will instruct him in the way chosen for him. You see, God has a way chosen for you, for each one of us, a specific way that's called our race in the New Testament. It's the specific things that God has put us here to do. So God's saying, as you humble yourself and become my servant and really do trust the reality of the text in Luke, where it talks about, I've only done my duty and I can make no claim on God. As I really get to that place, God now opens the door for us to see the purpose for which he's made us. To see the way that we're supposed to be walking on. To see the race that we're supposed to be running. So the key starts in my heart and recognizing that I'm going to humble myself before God. And when I do that, then I will spend my days in prosperity. Now, when we read that word prosperity, we think a lot of money. But remember this, God doesn't need money to get things done. You know, when God wanted to feed a bunch of people, he took a few a few loaves of, of bread and a few fish and multiplied them. When God wanted to provide wine for a, a wedding feast, no problem. We'll take water and turn it into wine. You see, God doesn't have a problem taking little resources and multiplying them. And, of course, if he wants to make something out of nothing, he can do that. So prosperity is about alignment with God. It's not about riches. It's not about money in the bank. It's not about your stock portfolio. It's not about real estate. Prospering in the kingdom of God is about getting in the flow of God, in the favor of God, lined up with his purposes, doing his will. That's where you prosper. And when that happens, your descendants will inherit the land. There's a generational aspect of this. Those that you're connected with, your spiritual children and your natural children, get the blessing because you chose the fear of God and you chose to humble yourself before God. So that's what God funds is alignment with him. Finding and fulfilling your divinely ordained C4 life purpose releases the provision of God in your life. And that's what we all want to do is we want the provision of God in our life. Now, since God funds his will, what is the root of perceived money problems? You can see this, this young lady here is uh, struggling with money problems. And I'm sure that a number of us have been before our computers worshiping mammon, seeking to find ways to pay our bills. And we have to understand money problems are not root issues. Money problems... Are symptoms. In fact, money. I would even say that there's no such thing as a money problem. There's only symptoms of money problems. Because the reality is this: that 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 money problem is really a sign of misalignment with the will of God. And I know that that is not a very popular concept, because uh, we we don't like to think that God cares that that much about money. We like to think that money is something we go out and earn and. And we can go be magnanimous to God by bringing our tithes and offerings to our churches. It's like we have done God a favor. You know, God doesn't need a dime of our money. Money is a training tool. Money is about helping us to learn to, to worship the true God and not worship Mammon. So whenever there's money issues going on in your life, start looking for where you're out of line. Remember this. Matthew 6.33, and all of you, I'm sure, know this text. It's a very well-known text. In the context of talking about how God provides for everything so abundantly, it says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. This whole thing about seeking first the kingdom, well, what is the kingdom? The kingdom is the rule and reign of God. To make the rule and reign of God first Means to make it a priority. Means means to make it the focus of your attention, the objective of your of your every day, the the purpose of your every thought is about the kingdom. And so, where you work and what you do should be all about the kingdom. How you steward your money should be about the kingdom. How you steward your time should be about the kingdom. And how you how you steward your family, and how you interact in your community, it should all be about the kingdom. And then he says, and his righteousness. Well, what is righteousness? Righteousness is the whole aspect of what is right and wrong. What lines up with God and what doesn't line up with God. And you remember the whole problem with the human race goes back to Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve are in the garden. And they were told, guys, you can eat of any tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now that's an interesting thing. Has anybody ever seen a, a tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Well, I don't think hardly any of us have. I don't know of anybody that has. Maybe one of you have, but I haven't. So I think to some degree it's metaphorical that, uh, here. And so what is he trying to say? Well, I think what he's trying to say is that this tree represents the right to make the rules. Who decides what is right and wrong? And God says, I reserve that for me. You do not have the right to make the rules. I make the rules. I created you. I make the rules. And so righteousness is his rule book. It is his rules, his standards by which he wants us to live. So seeking first his kingdom and doing it righteously means that we do it according to his rules. Our lives should all be about his kingdom, his rule and his reign, and all according to his rules. And when that happens, guess what? He says, I'll take care of all your needs. All of these things is a reference to your daily needs food clothing shelter all the things that you think you need to live he says I'll take care of all of those your job is to seek first the kingdom and to follow my rules that's your job and so that's the alignment we've got to get to if we really want to see the flow in favor of God in our life so just a little quick summary here who has the money Now, you might be tempted to say well it's it's the money is in Fort Knox because that's where the gold is well, the reality is this, that the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord. Haggai 2, verse 8. You see, there's nothing on this planet that God didn't make. If he needs to make more, he can. Resources are not a problem to God. A year or so ago, I had a client call me. In fact, it was the wife of a client. Now She called and she wanted to visit. And so I met her up at Starbucks and we sat down and she, she threw a piece of paper in front of me. And it's, uh, it's financial data and uh, she began to explain to me all the credit card debt they're in and she was asking my advice. She said, you know, we've got this retirement money over here. She would take this retirement money and liquidate it and and pay off this credit card debt. Well, I talked to her about the penalty and all that, you know, the the practical side of it, but then I asked her a question. I said, "Um, what do you think is going to happen if you do that? And she said, what do you mean? I said, well, My sense is that in probably a year or two, you're going to call me again. We're going to have this same meeting all over again. And she says, why is that? I said, because if you don't get to the root issue of this, you're just going to repeat this problem. Because money is not a root issue. Money is a symptom. And I said, furthermore, tell me, you know the Lord? She said, yes, I know the Lord. I said, the Lord good? Yes, the Lord is good. And I said, does the Lord have plenty of resources? She said, oh yeah, He's got plenty of resources. If He needed resources, He could create resources, right? There's no end of resources for Him. Yeah, he's no end of resources. Then tell me, if He has no end of resources, and he, he is good to you, and He is a good God, then why is it that you have a lack of resources? And of course, that just put her on her ear there. But it illustrated the point. I said, here's the thing. You know, You've got to discern what the root issue here is. If you don't discern the root issue, then you won't solve the problem. You will simply go around the mountain again. So my suggestion to you is that you sit down with your husband and you seek God to find out what the root issue here is and solve that root issue. Then all these money issues will take care of themselves. Now who does God give the money to? Well, very simply this. He gives the money to fund his will. And look at a couple of texts from Isaiah 45 and 46. God says this, I form the light and I create darkness. I bring prosperity and I create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. And he goes on a few verses later and says, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. You see, God is going to execute his will with you or without you. He's going to do it and when we line up with him as his servants there is provision for us to do what we've been called to do and that's what we've got to learn to do well so God funds those aligned with him and C4 helps you align with God's will for your life which then releases the provision you need to do what you're called to do so that's my encouragement to you tonight how can C4 help you make more money? Well, C4 help can help you line up with God and His will for your life. And when you do that, that releases the provision that you need to support and be part of His will.